Hi, I'm Rob Knight, the host of Your Itinerary for Travel and Photography. You're listening to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photo is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. TWIP is brought to you by Panasonic Lumix Cameras, changing photography for the next generation. And by Lynda.com. Learn what you want, when you want, with access to thousands of high-quality and easy-to-follow video tutorials, including many about photography. Do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com twip. And FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. To try FreshBooks for free, just go to freshbooks.com twip, and when you sign up, enter twip in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Before we dive into this week's show, here's a quick look at what's happening this week on the TWIP Network. First up on the Candid Frame, Barry Next Perillo sits down with Pat Pattison, who's an expert on career reinvention. Not only because he has conducted extensive research on the topic, but he has successfully done it himself. And over on All About the Gear, Doug and Gordon give their thoughts on the Panasonic Lumix G7. And on TWIP Family, Jenny talks to Sandy Plitch about the amazing service offered by Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. And on TWIP Talks, I sit down with Darren Siegel to discuss the entrepreneur's journey. And on TWIP Weddings, strategies for attracting new clients and how we approach our initial wedding clients. And on The Fix, how to use Google Photos to store, share, search, and edit all of your photos with Google's own John Knack and Aravind Krishnaswamy. And on your itinerary, Rob chats with Ram Kurzak about the outspoken professional nature photographer and workshop leader behind Roman with Roman photo tours. And on Street Focus, Valerie chats with Karen Hutton, who shares her experience shooting street photography in Paris from a nature and landscape photographer's perspective. All that and more is happening this week on the TWIP Network. Remember, you can subscribe to any or all of our shows over at thisweekinphoto.com slash subscribe. This is TWIP, episode 421, GoPro, Astropad, and the White House. It's only been a few short years since GoPro redefined the action camera space with their Hero line. Pretty much anywhere there are action sports or outdoor activities happening, you'll find a happy infestation of GoPro cameras. And the company hasn't stopped to count their billions yet. They continue to iterate, polish, and perfect the action camera segment, this time with the introduction of their newest camera, the Hero 4 Session. And over on the desktop, a new company called Astro HQ, founded by two former Apple employees, have released a new piece of software that transforms an ordinary iPad into a fully functional graphics tablet. The software will allow photographers and other creative professionals to create, retouch, or paint directly onto the image. Here to discuss GoPro's new Hero 4 Session action camera, AstroPad, and other photography news this week, I'm joined by the host of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast, Mr. Martin Bailey, and the co-host of TWIP's own All About the Gear, Mr. Doug K. It's Monday, July 13th, 2015, and this is TWIP. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of TWIP. We're in TWIP episode 421, and this is, this is, uh, is going to be an interesting show, not only because the news that we're talking about is pretty juicy, but also this is my first show back 
from my uh, my adventure in Hawaii, on Kauai, which is why I'm dressed like this. For you listeners, you have to watch the feed. This is the first time I've worn a brightly colored Hawaiian t-shirt <laughs> t-shirt on the show. So you're looking very smart over there, Frederick. It's uh, oh, and look at Doug with his glasses on. <laughs> All right, hold Let's on. get some shades. That, that that shirt is that shirt is so bright. I had to put on the shades. So nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's perfect. I should wear my shades too. It's uh, D- Doug. I got to tell you, and I gotta I gotta give you kudos and um, you know pass this on to the listeners as a tip to anyone who's going to Hawaii or the island I went to was Kauai. Uh, but Doug K, before I left, I think it was the day before I left, told me, I was like, Doug, what should I bring? You know, not camera gear-wise, but clothes-wise. You know, what should I bring? Doug K, who is a veteran Hawaii traveler, says, bring nothing but Hawaii shirts, T-shirts, and shorts and sandals, which made packing really easy. So I did that, and I was not wanting for any kind of clothing when I was there. So thank you, Doug K. Kudos to Doug K. <laughs> you are welcome. You've been uh, you've been indoctrinated into Hawaiian culture now. I know, so it's awesome. Martin, have you been to Hawaii yet? No, I, I'd love to. I mean, it's it's like really close here. It's halfway between here and America, so oh, it's practically <laughs> Japan, right? So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's smack bang between the two of us. Getting closer to us each year, apparently. But yeah, um, is it or the other way around? I forget. I but it's, it's, yeah, it's, I'd love to go. Closer to you, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah I'll, it's, I'll it's, make it happen one day. You gotta go. You gotta go. My on my list now is uh, I need to go to the main island or the big island and shoot some photos of volcanoes. You know, yeah, yeah, flowing yeah. lava. Doug, have, have you done that yet? Not only that, but I uh, once rented an airplane from Maui, flew to the big island, flew around the volcano, and photographed it that way. Of course you did. You're, yeah, you're, I, I did. I did. <laughs> well, I would have taken down a step from that. I just want to go there with a drone and fly that around and land and leave. It's, so it's, it's hard to get to the volcano depending on what the lava flows are because they close that part of the park depending on road access and safety and stuff. So you, it's the luck of the draw depending on what time of year you go and what the activity of the volcano is. But it's pretty damn cool. Yeah, I need to do that. I just want to see new Earth being made because I'm a geek that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a there was a story a few months ago about a guy that was rugby tackled by a, a a park warden. I think that was in Hawaii where he he got a drone out, and um and you're not allowed to use them in some of the parks. So I check check which ones you you're gonna you're gonna uh, try to photograph with a drone or you know video with a drone first. You might end up taking it there for nothing, or just risk getting rugby tackled to the ground. Yeah, I think I'd probably risk it, but yeah. <laughs> All right, well, well, speaking of these kind of extreme environments, that leads me right into our first story, which is about GoPro, right? So GoPro, who has their ubiquitous action camera that you see everywhere. I think in Hawaii, I think I saw every tourist had one attached to a selfie stick, but they all, they all had, everyone had a GoPro running around. I'm like, these things are like the new iPhones in terms of ubiquity. Uh, but they just released a new one, which is kind of a big deal in the photography universe because they are the definitive action camera. The new one is called the Hero 4 Session, and it's the first major redesign of the camera since the original Digital Hero launched in way back in 2007. Now, the camera, now GoPro says the camera is a significant step forward for GoPro. It's the first one. I think this is the biggest deal about it. 
the first one that doesn't need a case. Like all the GoPros that I saw over the weekend had these had the clear plastic cases on them, you know, the diver suits. Um, but this one doesn't need it. It comes, I guess it evolved. <laughs> so it was an evolution of the GoPro. It, it evolved waterproofness. Um, it's a cube. It's a black cube. It weighs in at 2.6 ounces, which is about half the weight of an iPhone 6. And so it's, and because of it, it not needing a case, you don't, you don't have that added weight or the bulk or, you know, the cumbersomeness of the case. Plus it's, you know, of course, waterproof, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't shoot 4K, which a lot of people are kind of him and hawing about. It shoots 1080, but a lot of people are saying, you know, 4K is why do you need 4K anyway in a, in a device like this? But, you know, Martin, I want to throw it to you first. I remember when we first started talking about GoPro a while back, you had some issues with your GoPro. I think it was specifically around battery life or lack thereof. Have you come around? Are you back in the GoPro like fold now? You know, I am, but it, for me, it wasn't battery life. I actually bought the ex, the big, big batteries that you yeah. can switch out. Um, you can't do that with the new one. Um, probably not going to be an issue, but... Um, for me at the time, it was the it was just the the quality of the. I bought the Hero Three when it was new, um, literally straight out of the off the one of the first batches of off the product line, and it was just a little bit flaky. Um, it calmed down after a couple of firmware updates. So for me, I actually they ended up changing they changed both of them. I ended up with new harm, uh, hardware, but then. I, uh, I I still had to wait a couple of firmware updates before they would start working. I would literally start them recording in 1080p or 2K, I think it was at the time, just slightly larger than 1080p. And um, I would say, okay, great, I'm going to do this. And I, I was using them on, on my tours uh, to shoot the wildlife and shoot us shooting the wildlife. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd get back to the, to the GoPro a few minutes later or I'd just check that it was working and they'd stop. They just literally, I'd get the first 10 seconds and then they'd stop recording, and that happened for the for like two weeks. Um, there was a firmware update shortly after that, and it made them work a little bit better. And then another update brought them into the world of like normal, how they should have been. So that, I mean, it seems as though they released them about three months too early, probably for Christmas. Yeah. Um, but that was two years ago now. Um, you know, the the new the new GoPro is, it does look it looks great. I mean, I think. The, for me, 4K is, is future-proofing. Right now, all of the video that I put out is still only 1080p. Um, so I'm, it's, it wouldn't be a big issue for me right now. Um, if, you're, if you're the sort of person that is going to want to buy something now and want to use it for a few years into the future, then it's probably not the best thing because you know 4K is going to be more... It's going to be like the norm in a few years' time. It's like until a few years ago, everything was 720p. That doesn't look great anymore when you look at it on a big screen. So resolutions going up. People are going to want to see 4K video. But for productions, I mean, these cameras are. If it really depends on how you're using it. If you're if you are going to create footage of something, you know, you only need uh, the 1080p. Um, even 1080p, if it's only for short bursts, you can embed it in larger video. Um, so, when just think about it as the as not necessarily something that you're going to invest in and keep for ten years. It's right. it's something that they're so cheap that you'll buy them and use them for specific jobs for a while, and just expect that you're going to be buying the next one when it comes out in a year or two. And and yeah. it's you know, and that's I think that the, the price right be, that's right. That, 
you hit it right on the head. That's the new mindset of the new photographer, right? In the old days, it was this is an investment. I'm investing my money in this. It better last, you know, a long time, yada, yada, yada. And, and the new photographer these days is, okay, I'm going to buy this and get the shots. And it's almost a disposable economy for these cameras. Right. It's like, I know, you know, they're going to rev this thing in six months with 4k, but I, I don't want to miss these shots now. So I'm going to mm. buy this thing knowing that I'm going to dump it on eBay or, or Amazon or something in the future. And, you know, and I think that the the pricing of these things is it makes that possible as well. I mean, it's not like these things are three, four thousand dollars a piece. They're a few hundred bucks. Yeah. And and when you consider, you know, either, whichever side of the the camp you're coming from, if you if you're coming from a video world where until four or five years ago anything that could shoot even even 1080p was thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. Now you can get that for so much cheaper. But you know, it, it, if you're a hobbyist. It's going to feel like more of an investment. You're going to want to keep it a little bit longer, but it still really is just—it's just not that much money in the scheme of things. So, you know, think of it as a, as a relatively short-term investment. And I think that the lack of 4K isn't such a big deal. Um, yeah, and they're, also, they're also like think great of it, cameras. Think of it in the space-time continuum, right? So you are—you <laughs> are only going to be at this point in space and time one time. Do you want to be there Absolutely. without getting these shots, or do you want to get the shot? So it's your decision. Absolutely. Doug Kay, host of All About the Gear on the This Week in Photo Network. You are the expert when it comes to all things cameras. This is a new camera. You're the guy. Is it worth it? Are you going to get one? Or knowing you, are you going to buy three? <laughs> you know, I'm looking at the price of this and realize, you know, this is about what I would spend for one month of film and processing if yeah. I'm shooting film. So they're getting pretty cheap, you know. Uh, I think Martin and you have been spot on with this. The I'm not so – at first, initially I was impressed. The thing is really cute, let's face it. And it's small. Um, you know, it makes you want one. <laughs> but the fact is that it's only $100 cheaper than the Hero 4 Black, which I do have and do use. Um, you're giving up the 1080p, and, you know, all you're really getting is uh, a weight reduction uh, and a size reduction when you need to go down 10 meters. Or when you want, wait a minute, when, you're giving up the 4K, not the 1080p, because it'll shoot I'm sorry, in 1080. Yeah, sorry, yep, okay, yep. I just want to be sure, yeah, yeah. You're giving up the 4K. You're giving up the 4K for 1080p, and what you're what you're getting is a unit that is lighter, but only when you don't need the case. If you're going to use the Hero 4 Black without the case, the difference in weight isn't that great between the new one and this one. Um, so I think this is a camera which is particularly of interest to people who either are going to put it in the water or who need the environmental sealing uh, that would cause them to use the housing with the um, Hero 4 Black. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the only opportunity here. I think it's a good next step. It's, I, haven't, I don't have my hands on one. It sounds like they've improved the user interface. Uh, that was always a problem with GoPro cameras, which is, you know, it, it takes a while to get to, fig to figure out how to use the damn things because they're, you know, it's like the, it's like an Apple interface. Everything's done with one button, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a Rubik's cube. I mean, yeah. for me, it was like a, it was like trying to solve a Rubik's cube. Back yeah. You know, yeah. And then once you once you learn how to turn the thing on and adjust the things you need to adjust, you better not forget it because if you, <laughs> you don't keep it up for a couple of days, you'll you'll lose track. Anyway, I think that's the sweet spot here, which is people who need to get it wet. 
Yeah. Mm. So one of, know, one of the other features, speaking of getting it wet, um, with the waterproofing, GoPro built a new microphone system into this camera that they say mm. works similarly to human ears. It's a membrane that drains water that's trapped on the microphones, and when it happens, it says it happens really quick, just a second or two. This means it can pick up clear audio moments after it leaves the water. Yeah. So whereas the other one, you know, I I don't I I don't even own a GoPro anymore. I I'm using it with Sony action cams, but apparently the old one had that issue. This one they put some significant engineering muscle behind it to fix that. Plus they've added a rear-facing microphone. Hello. <laughs> you know, and it switches on when it detects high amounts of wind noise on the front microphone, which is like that's that's pretty dang smart, you know. It's like, oh, this one is getting bad audio. Let me go to, you know, let's go to the impulse drive and uh, see if we can <laughs> get good audio from the rear engines. Martin, I mean, that's those are some pretty compelling features, right? GoPro seems to be pushing forward in this action cam space and not losing momentum. You agree with that? Yeah, I, I think the thing is, is I, I I certainly agree with what what Doug's saying. And if honestly, at this point in time, if I was gonna buy a another GoPro, I'd probably just buy some Hero 4s mm -hmm. um, because the the size is not that important to me. But I think that there are things like that. The thing to keep in mind with with the microphones is that the old ones, when they're, when they're in the case, you might as well forget about the audio because right. all oh, 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 yeah. yeah, it's like you can't really hear what anyone's saying or anything like that. So it's if like audio Charlie, is important, Charlie Brown's teacher in the exactly. <laughs> it, so if 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 um. If sound is important, and that's definitely a, another compelling reason to consider these, I think the thing is, is that I'm I'm imagining that it's that small form factor is, people are going to go for these when they need something that's absolutely tiny and can just be sort of slotted into into a very small space. That's another thing. Um, so, yeah, I I agree in that you know if I was going to buy if I was going to upgrade my Hero threes, I'd probably go for a Hero four. I've almost pulled the trigger on on a one one or two of those a couple of times, but at the moment I ha I'm not doing that. Um, but I I think that the the tiny form factor and the audio from this guy is is going to be a compelling reason for a lot of people to go for this over the over the very very slightly larger. Um, the, the you know the, the full size GoPros. Yeah. yeah, totally. I know full size, and we're talking ounces here, so it's, yeah, yeah, it's negligible. But yeah, I mean they say about video, right? I mean. A lot of people, when they're doing video online, YouTube, etc., they neglect the audio, and the audio quality is like half or more in terms of you know the importance. In terms of importance, when you're putting something online, the audio quality is is paramount. So if you put up a decent, a beautiful looking 4K video with crap audio, mm. you know it's going to be accepted less than if you put up a 640 by 480 video with awesome sounding audio, you know, so yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it doesn't balance. So this thing and GoPro attempting to sort of fix that or help fix that issue, I think is, it's a, it's a huge step forward. Mm. So, oh, this, another feature of it, I'm looking at the list here, along with that rear facing microphone, the session, the Hero 4 session also detects its mounting orientation and automatically rotates the video like an iPhone or an Android device. Hello. That's like, like, that seems so fundamental to me. Like, even the Sony action cams and all these other cameras, you, you know, you have no idea what position these things are going to be mounted in. It just seems so fundamental that they would just rotate the video for you or mm -hmm. allow, at least give you a UI to say, boom, 
this thing automatically does it. So you know, it's it's got some smarts in it. You know, it's an evolution of yeah. the uh, of the GoPro. I'm excited to get one. I don't have one. At, I have one either. So Doug, you say you're both. Of you guys, you are going to get them, or you're not going to get them. You're going to hold off, or go cheapy and get the discounted previous version, or what? I, I don't use my Hero Four Black enough to justify getting a different one. So personally, I will not get one. All right. Yeah, me me neither for now. Um, I I think. Uh, I think they're great, but I'm I'm not gonna I like just like Doug. I don't even use my Hero threes very much. I wouldn't I wouldn't go back and get the last version because for me I'm like I, I need the latest of anything. If I'm gonna invest in it, I want the latest one. It's like yeah, yeah. That's, that's my mindset. Now, you know, if I if I was still flying my wingsuit, <laughs> you know, your your flying squirrel suit. Doug? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that I mean that's the that's the use case for this audio is anything action. I love the uh, idea of the rear facing microphone because you know you put it on your helmet, right? Your this is this if you're going to fly a wingsuit, you know that at some point you want to record your very last words <laughs> because they're they're going to come soon, right? Your explanation. So, you know, as you're as you're plummeting towards the rocks, yeah, and you scream. You want to make sure that that's recorded, and that's the use case for that rear-facing microphone. So, um, you know, since since I no longer use a wingsuit, wait a minute, I've never used one. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Hey, man. Well, speaking of of action sports like that in Hawaii uh, or on Kauai, I ziplined. Yeah, have you guys ever done that? The zip yeah, you know why I didn't do the zipline? Because you want to live. Because they make the the zipline I was going to do. They make you walk up to the top. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, it's like a, uh, I had to climb all the way up the top. I said, "Screw that!" I'm not gonna You're do that. such an American. I love that. <laughs> What's did this you, walking thing? We don't walk in America. Did you, <laughs> did you climb up to the top of your zipline, or did you ride? We we hiked up to the top. So uh, it was up. a hike. I mean, this is cold. This is Jurassic Park, where they filmed Jurassic Park, That's right? Me. So it was a it was a hike up to the summit, and then. It was a series of zip lines down, like zigzagging all the way down. And uh, you know, I had my, I had my, I was the geek with the head-mounted Sony action cam, and I had one on my chest like Iron Man. So I was recording the whole thing. But and those things are tiny. But I was, I remember this news coming out while I was over there. I was like, that thing would be awesome, <laughs> to have, just to have the lighter thing, like just yeah. like Velcroed onto my head or something, you know, with and no case. We, we want to hear you scream. I, I did scream. <laughs> uh, there will be video. There will be video. I, I unapologetically screamed. <laughs> like a little girl. I was fine with it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and after that, we're going to be talking about a new solution that lets you transform your iPad into a graphics tablet for photo editing. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Panasonic Lumix cameras and the new Lumix G7 4K mirrorless interchangeable lens camera. This hybrid camera puts the power of 4K video and photography into the hands of all of us. Hybrid is when you mix stills and video, and now with the 4K photo features built into the Lumix G7, you can turn your 4K videos into high-resolution photos with just the touch of the screen. And because the camera can record 4K at up to 30 frames per second, you'll never miss a photo moment ever again. And with its groundbreaking depth from defocusing technology, you'll achieve super fast track focusing that rivals some of the best DSLRs in the world. And add to this that the camera is controllable from a smartphone app and you end up with a camera that's changing photography 
for all of us. Find out more about this new camera over at LumixLounge.com and follow at LumixUSA on Twitter for updates. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about this new piece of software from the folks at AstroPad. So let me read the blurb here for us so we can all be on equal footing. It says, AstroPad transforms your iPad into a professional graphics tablet for your Mac. Use your iPad to draw directly into Photoshop and any other Mac creative tools you know and love. And finally, you can, or finally you can use your iPad as a drawing tablet, yada, yada. So you can use it in Photoshop, Illustrator, Corel, basically anything that runs on your Mac. Uh, some of the features are, they say it provides a natural drawing experience. It works with any Mac app. It delivers, I hate when people use the word unprecedented, but they say it delivers <laughs> unprecedented image quality with no compression artifacts. Unprecedented, only, best, all those words I get suspect. Um, blazingly fast. You can plug it in through, you can use it through Wi-Fi or you can plug it in to through USB. It supports all iOS styluses, but not Wacom tablet styluses because it's a different technology. Um, pressure sensitivity, customizable short shortcuts, true retina resolution, palm rejection, all that stuff. So interesting, interesting. Um, we've been, both Martin and I have been chatting with the guys over there at, uh, at AstroPad I think that's the name of the company that make the AstroPad over the past couple of days. And Martin, you've played with the device. I haven't. They're going to send me a stylus to play with, um, so I haven't actually played with it. I've purchased and downloaded the software, but I don't have a stylus to play with it. What are your first impressions of this thing? Is it? Is it? When I see things like this, Martin, I think, okay, is it going to add to my life, or is it something else that I need to figure out how to make it work with the way that I'm all already doing things? Um, you know, I think it's definitely one of those additive things. It's a, it's gonna be, um, it's gonna be a, an amazing app to work with. And I, I'm saying going to be because I think that they they need a couple of iterations. There's a few things that are missing still. Um, but my initial impressions, and this is based on working with it uh, since yesterday with a a Wacom Intuos Creative Two. I think it's the Creative Stylus Two. Um, this is apparently not the best one for the 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 guys over at AstroPad um, mm -hmm. are recommending a different one. Um, but you know the the it works great. The when they there there are a few claims that seem a little bit over the top. Like for example, if you're working with this over wireless, I mean I've got the the fastest Apple wireless network in my house um, with mm -hmm. the the extreme. Um, the new tall extreme yeah, routers and things. Mm -hmm. um, it's blazing fast. I can I can really you know zip data around over Wi-Fi. But when I'm using the uh, AstroPad, sometimes you do see a little bit. Say for example, I was trying doing some dodging and burning in Photoshop, and as you apply the effect, sometimes you get a little bit of digital cu the, the cubes where the, it goes all digitized for a while. Sometimes that happens. Um, it doesn't happen. The good thing about this is, if, if you're working at a desk, you can actually just connect via a wire. Um, you know, your your iPad USB cable will automatically um, switch you to the you know the over to the wired connection as opposed yeah. to Wi-Fi. So the most fastest connection. Yeah, and so once you do that, yeah, you don't have to switch. It just defaults to that. Um, but once you do that, it's a much smoother experience. Um, it's workable over Wi-Fi for sure, but I think that there needs there needs to be a few little performance tweaks there. Um, 
But the other thing that it's missing at the moment and they really need to work on is, is application profiles. At the moment, from what I can see, when you have a, a set of shortcuts, you can program, you know, most pens have, a, have, have like a, two clicks. They've got this that you can click at the bottom or the top. Yep. Um, the Wacom pen, so you can program these and you can program the shortcuts that you get along the side of the AstroPad interface, um, but you can only program them once. And so if I'm in Photoshop and I've got a certain set of shortcuts programmed and then I go to Lightroom, you know, this works with, as they say, as they claim in, in their blurb, it does work with every application. But if I want to work with it in Lightroom, I've then got to go in and remap my shortcuts to do something mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. And so they need application profiles so that... Which is something I, that Wacom already does, right? They solve that. They do. They it's do. So, over. right. So, so what you need, what they need to do is to, it, it might not be very easy to do it automatically, but if they, they need to do one of two things. They need to either figure out which application has got focus and switch automatically, mm -hmm. or they need to give us a simple way of clicking on something and saying, okay, now use my Lightroom profile or now use this profile, that profile. And then that would give us the ability to create new shortcuts for each each application that we're working in. Um, if they've already got this, it's not obvious as a first-time user. But I think that they don't yet because, it, you know, you go in, I, I see where we edit, edit the shortcuts, and there doesn't seem to be any way to do profiles. So yeah. I, would, I would argue that, 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 that that's fundamental. You know, especially, I mean, if, you're, if your marketing materials on the site are saying that you work with all applications, you shouldn't mm. have to jump through hoops in order for the software to recognize. I mean, it's, a, it's an iPad connecting to, connected to a Mac. They know each mm. other, right? <laughs> it should, right, right? There should be some way to pass along, hey, I'm running this app now, display this. You know, yeah. that's, that seems pretty fundamental. But, yeah, yeah. you're right. This is, it's new, right? So this, mm. this, I, would, I would hope it's on their roadmap. So. I, you know, and, and apart from a few things like that, it works very well. I'm, I'm impressed with it. I mean, I've... But what I've does just... it give you, Martin? So that, that's, that's what I'm struggling with. Like, I have this awesome wireless Wacom tablet over here that I've maybe used four or five times, and that's only because Aaron Nace has, you know, shamed me into using it. But <laughs> And I love it. It's a great tablet, but my pen yeah. is brand new, you know, and I've yeah. had it for like 18 months. So... Yeah. I'm looking at this. I'm like, okay, what problem does this solve that I can't, that uh, I have that I can't do with my mouse and keyboard yeah. and my awesome Retina display just sitting here editing photos like this? Is it like that's what I wanted to hear from you? Like, what is what does it give me? What superpowers is it going to give me beyond what I have already? So that's that's actually the 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 most important question. And what it does is, when you're working on a Wacom, I've got the Wacom um, tablet as well, and Intuos 4, mm -hmm. and I use it sometimes in Photoshop. You know, not all the time. I'm not forever using the tablet. The thing is, is that when you're in Photoshop, you, you don't know where you're going to be writing on the screen until you put your stylus near to the, to the pad, to the, you know, the top of the tablet. Mm -hmm. The beauty of this system is it's, it's, it's almost... It's like the Wacom Cintiq or Cintiq, the, which, which is, is where they've actually got the photo, the image below. It, it's a, it's an LCD monitor with the tablet built into a, a membrane on the surface, and it's like that. So you actually you see exactly on the screen what you're about to retouch, and that's something that you don't get with a tablet. You know, you, with a tablet you're working with your hand over in one one place, and you're looking at the screen somewhere else. Right. With the, with AstroPad, 
you're you're writing or drawing directly onto the 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 photograph that you're you know I mean it's a smaller screen so you ha but it's very easy you can use fingers the two fingers to pinch and zoom around mm. so it's very easy to zoom around you what I found you it's best to do is to undock if you don't have if you have your toolbar in Photoshop docked in in one side undock that make it two rows two columns and then you can actually just drag it onto the screen and then you can change and select any tool. So for, you can dodge and burn really easily. You can draw directly onto the photograph. You can do pretty much anything that you can do because the tools are right there, and you just select them with the pen, and then go back to to your retouching or editing. Okay. And so it's the it's really the ability to see and draw directly on top of the photograph that you're editing. That's the yeah. biggest thing. But I I have a I have an iPad Mini, um, and mm. Doug K. I know you have an iPad Mini as well, right? So I wonder. If the mini is this, this is what I'm struggling with, Doug, and I want to have you chime in on this. So, we both bought our Retina iMacs around the same time, right? So I have this gorgeous Retina iMac display, but now I'm going to just use my little iPad to, to to write on. Does it make sense? I mean, I'm trying to. I think maybe I need to edit an image to kind of grok what the the you know and build the synapses of how it's going to work together. But right now I'm like, okay, I love looking at things big and ultra high resolution and being able to edit down to the, you know, the DNA level on models' faces and all that. And I feel like, okay, now I'm going to go down on my iPad mini and, you know, am I force-fitting this technology? Doug, what do you think? I mean, is this something that might fit into your workflow? Yeah, you know, the problem is that the phone's about to ring and Aaron Nace is going to be calling and say, Frederick, you're still not using your <laughs> thing. You know, I, know. I, know. I, I mean, I'm like Martin. I'm, I'm a complete convert to uh, Wacom tablets. And I so much so that when I travel, I have to have one. So I have this, the, Martin, I think mentioned the bamboo. I have an old bamboo, which I don't think they even make any longer. Mm. It's a little yeah. tablet. Uh, and I, it's my travel tablet. And, you know, if you want some example, try drawing a good circle with a mouse. You can't really do it. And yeah, so, but there are tools for that. There's the ellipse. No, no, no but I'm, that's an example. That's just trying to show you the kind of thing. Uh, I do a lot of dodging and burning in my post-processing. And so I need sort of a brush, stylus kind of thing. I can do it with a mouse, but it's really nice to do it with a tablet. So mm. here's the thing. Uh, to step back and look at the big picture here, what's going on here? First of all, I got to say, I bought this app just this morning. I paid twenty dollars for it in the yeah. um, uh, in the Apple Store. You you basically pay for the iPad app. The desktop app is free. They have done a beautiful job on this. A couple of yeah. guys who are ex Apple employees who obviously learned how to do user interface and clean installation from their experience at Apple. Mm -hmm. And you know, we look at a lot of new apps and stuff here on on this week in photo, but this one is really well done. It so is. here's here's the the initial use case for this. If you have wanted to get involved with a tablet, but you don't want to go out and spend hundreds of dollars for a tablet. Uh, but you do have an iPad. This is great because for twenty dollars you can get started. Now, the styluses you guys are talking about are in the hundred dollar range, right? Right. That's the other shoe. Yeah. Right. You can use a finger. You don't have to have a stylus. Uh, I happen to have an old passive stylus that works quite well. That was probably a fifteen dollar purchase. Now down to about five, probably. Yeah. But 
you know, for $25, $30, you can get the benefits, many of the benefits of having a tablet. And you decide if you want to go in this direction and use it in your workflow. Frederick, I know you never will. That's just it's the way uh, you it know, is. Never say never, but I'm, you know, I'm set in my ways. You know, I, want to give, I just want to give kudos to these guys. They have, yeah. as Martin says, it's a first generation. It's all sorts of possibilities. Of course, Wacom has done this for you know, a couple of decades they've had these mm -hmm. had these tablets out. So they've got, you know, they've been, a, they've had a chance to learn this stuff. But for, for less than, you know, for low double digits, you can get started in the world of tablets and see if you like it or not. And yeah. plus, you've got a great travel setup. I, I think this makes for a really good travel setup, especially if you're going to be taking your iPad with you anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to try it out. There's a couple questions that pop up though. Um, you know, you mentioned Wacom, and they've been in the business for a while, right? So when I look at the software that's in Wacom, it's still, you know, it could use improvement still. Um, but it does things like angle tracking, like as you move your pen to the left, you know, on whatever axes, it knows the orientation of your pen along with the pressure sensitivity. So I wonder, is though are those kinds of or that level of detail reading the pen position? Oh. Those are great. Those are great things. But I think the big thing here is people who have not yet used the tablet. Yeah. Right. That's yeah, the big it, thing. It's like ninety percent there, it, and if you need yeah. the other ten percent, I, mean, I, you can go I have my my Wacom tablet is really customized. I'm as Martin says, it has profiles for the different apps. It behaves differently in Lightroom than in Photoshop because I have it set just the way I want for each. I happen to be old school. I switch back and forth between a Wacom mouse and a Wacom stylus, and I'll give you an example. I have two monitors here, right? Yeah. When I pick up the stylus, the tablet area gives me my big monitor. When I pick up the mouse, I have both screens, and it just does that automatically. Mm -hmm. wow. So it's really great, customizable, but if you want to experience tablets, if you want to get started, this new AstroPad thing is really well done. Yeah, so, you know, so you know, what, what do you guys think? Martin, what do you think... So why hasn't Wacom done this? So the first part of the question is, if this seems like a fairly obvious kind of move for a company that is solely focused on tablets, do you think they said, you know what, let's let's not look at that and focus on Cintiq sales and see how much mm -hmm. we can squeeze out of that market? Or you know, that's that's the one question. The other half of that question is, if you were the the AstroPad guys, would you be afraid of a company like Wacom saying, you know what, hey? There's blood in the water. Uh, let's throw some resources and make our own and start selling, you know, styli that are specifically designed for mobile devices, including phones, and you know, and crush these guys or acquire yeah. these guys or something yeah. like that. You know, the the thing is, is um, I think even for tablet users, existing tablet users, if if you've ever wanted to be able to see the image that you that you're writing on directly then everyone at some point has probably gone over and, and checked the pricing on the Cintiq. <laughs> this, this and thing, then ran away screaming. <laughs> I'm looking at B&H right now. The 13.3 inch with creative pen display is 800 bucks. The creative pen and touch display, still 13, 13 inch, is $1,000. And the 27 inch, I mean, that, this is going a little bit crazy, but the yeah. 27 inch Cintiq, is two thousand three hundred dollars, yeah. um, and so you know if what you're being, what you're doing is you're getting yourself in a position where you can actually edit directly onto the photograph 
for either 20, 20 bucks with your finger or 120 bucks with it or 100 maybe 100 bucks because this, this thing here was like 80 bucks i bought it yesterday to give this a try okay. um so package and it's workable and i'm sure it's going to get better so for me yes i mean your your original question wacom are probably sitting there thinking okay well our Cintiq sales are just have just become a, a you know a little bit more at risk than they were before Mm -hmm. So they may well say, okay, well, it's time to time for us to do this. They'll do a great job. Um, but I think that there's also going to be a certain amount of internal politics where they're just going to say, no, let's let the other guys do this. Um, and we'll, we'll stay with Cintiq because we need these 3,000 sales instead of $30, $20. Mm. Um, there's going to be some big decisions. I'm sure they're having a board meeting right now. Um, yeah. But I think it's great that the guys at Astropad have caused them to have that board meeting. Well, I'm um, hoping I'm hoping they're not having a Kodak moment because that could be bad for them. <laughs> I doubt they will be. You know, Wacom are a great company. They they make great products. I mean, literally, when I started to look into this yesterday, I the first pen I looked at was Wacom because I trust their I trust their design. Yeah. I trust their their um you know their build quality is always excellent. Um, I looked at a few of the others. I've got a passive pen. From what what I, I keep forgetting the name of it, Adonic or something. Um, the the other the maker the manufacturer that the guys at Astropad actually recommend the stylus of. That they, I'll I'm going to get one of those. I'll and I'm going to give it a try. Um, and we should probably mention as well that we're we're probably going to be. Uh, I you know we keep saying this every month, but we're going to be bringing the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast into the twip under the twip umbrella. Yes. And probably by the time probably by the time we've got all of that worked out, I'll be releasing a probably a video uh, review of the the you know of Astropad with a couple of different pens, and and I'll talk I'll talk through you know the the benefits and that. But I, I again I do think it's an early product. I think that the the guys need some need a few more iterations to tweak it. But I trust that you know as Doug says. It's a smooth product. It connects in a second. It, you don't have to mess around with it. It's a, it's it's an install from the App Store on the on the iPad. It's a very quick install on the desktop. You don't have to reboot because they they know how to how to you know you know make an installer for Apple. Yeah. And it it's just all it's all very smooth. It looks great. The you know the company image is very Apple-esque. It's very. I'm, I'm in. I'm a convert. You know, and I'm. When when I feel this about an application or a solution, I generally am I'm more willing to give them a few months to go through a few more iterations and get it where it needs to be. I think that's where they are right now, but it's very promising, and you know I I, I think it's definitely worth it, especially if you're the sort of person like Doug says it, it's a great intro to tablet, but also if you want to draw or retouch directly over the photo, you can spend a hundred bucks or you can spend two thousand. It, yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Um, just to, to, I'll leave it on this. So the, you know, there's been these rumors swirling around. Of course, we have no, we can't confirm or deny or whatever. Uh, but of this new large iPad, which might be in the works from Apple, that that should really be frightening the Wacom people over there, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. if that comes out and and the software works as well as you guys are saying it it works, as you're saying it works, Warren, then that should eviscerate that market completely. Because now, you know, even if you're, even if you like, if you're deciding, okay, I want to, and of course this is dependent on the pricing of that thing, and assuming that it actually exists. But you know, for the price of that, you have a full Cintiq 
device that also right. is a full computer and a display and does all kinds of other things. So right. that's that's the big thing. You're not. It's not a dedicated device. You know, yeah. I remember years ago carrying an iPod and a phone in my pocket, and it drove me crazy. Now yeah. it's all in one device. You know, I, I can and do it. And Cintiq is far from portable. Exactly. Cintiq, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a yeah, it's a commitment. This antique is definitely a commitment. All right, guys, so let's. Uh, so the cost of this thing, it is uh, twenty nine ninety nine. Currently, it's nineteen ninety nine in the iTunes store. I think that might be a special. So definitely go check it out. If it's only twenty bucks, I mean, you know, and you do anything like this, like Martin and Doug are saying, then yeah, just go grab it and play around with it with your finger. And if you like it, then go get a stylus and you're good to go. Martin, where'd you pick up that stylus from? You said you got it yesterday. I got this from Amazon uh, Code JP, the Japan Amazon store. Okay. Um, so it's one of those um, prime things. I ordered it. I, I I saw the show notes. I'd already heard of this. I've seen the buzz online. Um, so I bought the app, went online, bought this. It arrived yesterday afternoon, and I started playing with it. So Ugh. you got to love Amazon right. Prime. All right, Amazon Prime. It is my crack. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so we're going to take another quick break. After that break, we're going to be talking about how the White House is lifting its 40-year-long ban on photography while on public tours. Stay tuned. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing solution that's helping freelancers and small business owners get organized and save time invoicing. You can try FreshBooks for free. Just head over to freshbooks.com twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section when you sign up. And as I've said on This Week in Photo before, we use FreshBooks as the back end to basically run most of the stuff behind the scenes on this business to keep the lights on and to keep everybody happy. Because as we all know, as creative professionals, we're not necessarily focused on capturing our income, expenses, and tracking billable time and all that. And I think the reason that we don't capture all of those things is simple. It's boring. We're creatives. We like fun stuff. We like Photoshop and Lightroom and you know, all these other cool things that let us express that side of our brain. And thankfully, FreshBook offers us as small business owners a way to quickly and easily keep track of our time and money without disrupting our workflow or, you know, sort of messing with our creative juices. With FreshBooks, you can invoice clients. It's easy. You can do it in seconds and expenses can be automatically imported so that you don't have to lift a finger. You're just doing the stuff on the back end while you do other cool stuff. You can even track billable time as easy as starting a timer on your on your mobile phone. You can whip up business reports. You can stay on top of your income, expenses, and tax time is coming up. So with a couple of clicks, you can generate reports for your CPA or your accountant so so that you're staying out of trouble. So grab some popcorn, learn how to fresh books by watching some of their free getting started webinars. I'm a big fan of webinars and they've got some excellent ones online for you to check out. Once again, if you want to check FreshBooks out, you can just head over to freshbooks.com slash twip, enter the code this week in photo or twip in the how did you hear about us section to start your free 30-day trial. All you need is an email address to uh, to try FreshBooks for free for 30 days. Just go over to freshbooks.com slash twip and enter twip in the how did you hear about us section. And we want to thank FreshBooks for their support of this week in photo. 
All right, guys, for 40 years, the White House has banned photography on public tours, and last week, they lifted that restriction. Uh, in fact, the First Lady even did a little video where she ripped up one of those no photography signs on camera, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, now guests are able to take pictures while they're inside the White House, which is, which is a pretty big deal. And it says a lot about you know, where, the, where things are going in terms of transparency. Doug Kay, what do you think about this? Have you been to the White House? Take a you know, pic- take a I, picture. I, I've never been inside. Never done you, it. Or, or were you that guy that landed the drone on the lawn? <laughs> <laughs> now I don't know. If, I don't know if Twip listeners know this, but you're the inside the White House guru here. I am. I am. I've been. I've been to the White House several times. All right. Uh, and, I, I'll leave it at this. I've been inside the White House, dressed up as the Commander in Chief, and I sat in his chair several times and pretended that I was him. On camera are, several are, times. Are you gonna Are you gonna leave it with that tease? I'm oh gonna leave it. God. I I am not. I you know there may be black helicopters outside right now because I went that far. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a. Uh, I'll I'll reveal the whole story once. Uh, how about once <laughs> once the new memoir the next commander in chief takes office? I'll right. reveal the story. <laughs> So, but, so you're uh, you're our expert in the uh, in White House everything. Uh, yeah, but see, the thing was... is, when I'm when I'm inside the White House, I have my cameras and I'm allowed to take photos in there. It's a different yeah. kind of deal. I'm not on a tour or anything like that. I'm, right. uh, you know, I have one of those special passes we, that allows me to take we, photos in there. We always knew how special you were, Frederick. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is a this is a great thing. Uh, I was just trying to do the math. I couldn't figure out who was the president 40 years ago. I should know that off the top of my head, but uh, why they changed the policy, I don't know. But, you know, it's um, the new, they have new rules. You can't just take anything in there. Uh, it's really only, uh, you can't take an interchangeable lens camera in. It's really just fixed lens cameras, three inch long lens. I assume that's, that's physical, not focal length. <laughs> a three inch long lens or shorter. Uh, phones are okay. You can take your iPhone in, but no video cameras. No interchangeable lens cameras, no tablets. Thank goodness. I'm so tired of people taking photos with their oh, iPad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no tripods, no monopods. Hooray, no selfie sticks. <laughs> no selfies. Gosh. I wonder if, if Google Glass is allowed in there now. I don't know. Whoever did the selfie stick, I want to kill that person. Uh, <laughs> Dude, selfie sticks have been around since the beginning of time. They've only, remember the thing that we had called monopods? That's a selfie stick. You know, yeah, I guess. And, and no flash. Um, it's about time. I think what's, what's interesting, you say that this is a new age of transparency, but you know, ever since 9-11 here in the U.S., it's gotten to be much harder to photograph in public or government buildings. Oh yeah. So I don't know if this is the beginning of a trend or what. I would love to see it go back because I do a lot of street photography and I'm, you know, harassed more than I used to be, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It is it, you you hit it right on the head and uh, the whole idea that tripods are evil has always <laughs> has always shocked me. You could be a photographer roaming around with your gear and taking pictures all day long. Bring out that tripod and set it up, and now you're a terrorist for some reason. No, but did Martin, you ever see that? What was that? What was that Woody yeah. Allen movie where he's playing the cello in a marching band? You remember that no. movie? So Woody <laughs> Allen's playing a cello in a marching band. You know, he runs ahead, he puts his folding chair down, he plays a few notes. The band passes him by. He has to run and catch up. Tripods really don't have a place on a White House tour. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
I know, that's true. Yeah, and if you have a decent camera, you will never need one unless you're trying to do something, you know, multiple exposures or something crazy like that. Martin, what, what do you think of this? Our commander-in-chief here in the United States uh, now lifting that 40-year-long ban on photography. Do you care? Yeah, I care. I think it's I think it's an, a good move. There's, you know, there, there's a lot of things that are happening at the moment that I think are, I mean, it's like, um, you know, re reopening the communication with Cuba. You know, there's right. there's things like I mean, this, this is big stuff. This is history, mm -hmm. um, and I I think that the, you know, the being able to take photos in the White House, they sound like reasonable. Uh, you know, because these are tours, they sound like a, a bunch of reasonable. Um, you know, requirements or, or guidelines for actually doing this. Um, I, I can't talk from personal experience. I've never been. But what I have done is a few months ago, I did a tour of the, the diet building in Tokyo for the Japanese government where they all meet. Um, and there are places in there where you are allowed to take photos and there are places where you're not. Um, so you go in as a big group. They guide you through, tell you the history about where you are. And then in the, in the main diet, um, room where they they do all of the the you know the the crap that they do. Um, they uh, they say you could you are allowed to take photos here. So I'm there with my big lens. Uh, I think it was uh, the the 11 to 24, and I just bought it. So I'm like getting what great big um, wide wide shots of the room, and they you know they were fine with that. I was down at the front. I was in in front of everyone else because I wanted to get a good shot. <laughs> um, so yeah, great. But then there was other places where they didn't allow you to photograph, um, and it, you know, it, it it's like why not? Because there, there's some beautiful architecture in here. It's not as though just being able to take a photograph in here is going to enable me to plant some plastic explosives in the corner over there. It's it's just right. you know, and and if you if you really are a terrorist, then you're going to take your photos anyway. You're going to have a little James Bond button photo, uh, Mike. Yeah. Or, or in the bridge of your glasses or something. Right? Exactly. I mean, so it's just, it's kind of a false security not letting people, the general public, take photos. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think it, it's, it shows that the, the government are, you know, they're, they're smartening up a little bit, uh, realizing that it's, it's just a good thing to be a little bit more open. It's, what about in, uh, in Tokyo, Martin? So you, you guys, Tokyo, of course, has the emperor and the emperor's palace. Is, do they have a similar sort of deal where public tours can go through there from time to time? And if so, are there restrictions on photography? You know, I've not done any of the... There, you can go through, through certain areas of the emperor's palace at any, or imperial palace and at any time. It's, it's like a park. There are days when they open it up and you can go in much deeper. I believe you can you can take photos, but there's there's again there's going to be restrictions, and I'm not sure what they are. I've never done that, um, but yeah, a lot of it it's quite open. Uh, but Japan is is pretty open on photography anyway. Um, there are some places where you where you'll have like the like the no entry road signs. You'll have a, a red circle with a cap a black camera and a diagonal line going through it. Um, they are they're quite common in in some temples and shrines and places like that. But Japan's a, you know, I mean, it, well, Nikon and Canon and Sony, they're all from Japan. So <laughs> right, it'd be right. a bit strange if they weren't a very photographic country. It's, but. it's always, I mean, with that kind of photography, it's always, like we always say on the show, common sense, right? Like, yeah. for example, my friend Trey Radcliffe, love him to death, one of my really good friends, took a drone to communist China and flew that. And... Mm. 
hit a little bit of static. <laughs> so <laughs> follow Dre online to find out more. Go back in his posts. I think he might have wrote a blog post or something about it. But yeah, things like that, probably not a good idea, you know, yeah. or trying to fly a uh, a drone across a demilitarized zone from North Korea to, or from South Korea to North Korea could probably land you in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. So well, don't you know, do that kind of stuff. Some guy actually, um, in protest for the fact that they are starting to, to crank up some of the nuclear power stations here again, or they're trying to, a guy actually took some radioactive sand from the beach near the, near the Fukushima power plant that, that yeah. mel melted down a few years ago, and he put it in a bottle and flew it onto the roof of the, oh. it, uh, where, it's like the White House, it's, the, it's where the, the, the Premier of Japan lives. Um, he flew it up onto the roof there. And the cool thing is, is that no one even noticed for like four days. <laughs> and so now they realize that they've got like a roof up there that is totally unsecure. Uh, and irradiated. <laughs> yeah. So they're making a few changes. But yeah, that was that was fun. You know, the guy. And, and I mean, the, the government here at the moment are a little bit, um, you know, there's a lot of problems here at the moment with uh, they're trying to change a few laws about the self-defense. I'm not going to get into this. I don't want to get into politics. But yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that want to to protest against the government here at the moment, and so they they need to tighten their own security. You know, while while over in the U.S., you're loosening it up and and getting all sort of 60s hippie style, which is great. Yeah, well, well, trust me, we have our own set of problems here <laughs> that, we are, <laughs> that we're dealing with. A few po protesters, you know, we I'm sure we would enjoy that more than some of the issues that we're dealing with. All right, guys, uh, I want to thank the listener that sent that in. I, I, actually, a bunch of people sent that in, but I, I think the first one to the bat was Tim McClintock over on Twitter shared that story with us, and we covered it on TWIP. So if you have a story that you want us to cover on TWIP, be sure to you know mention us, mention the at This Week in Photo or hashtag This Week in Photo or hashtag TWIP online, and it may make it into the show. All right, guys, it is time for some Q&A, and this week's question comes to us from Monica. Monica says, I noticed that Sony is now offering professional services similar to Nikon and Canon. Do you recommend signing up to be a member of these professional services groups for photographers? What are the benefits and the drawbacks? I don't know. Martin, are you a, are you a member of Nikon professional services? No, because I'm a Canon user, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a member of the, the Canon professional services either. I would be if I was in the States. So here's, here's the thing, that in Japan, for the Canon one, you've got to actually get someone that's already in the services, and you've got to go in for a face-to-face -face interview with, with Canon with a, with a third party. Hmm. And I've got, I've got friends and acquaintances that are already in there. I'm not going to ask them to do that. It's just yeah. such a ridiculous system. Um, if it was just like in most countries where you you just have to pay, you have to own a certain amount of gear, professional style gear, like with Japan in Japan, I think it's more than three L lenses and two professional bodies, um, and then you just have to throw a bit of money at it. Now, I would like to be in CPS, but I, I just haven't had the time to do it here. The you know what I, I think about this is that for. It, it really depends. Uh, is Monica a professional? You know, and, and by that, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be sort of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. So the, the thing is, is what, what you get, and I, I haven't even looked at the details for Sony, so, so Monica will need to check this herself, but, um, or maybe Doug has. I know, I know <laughs> Doug's good at this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but, so the thing is, is with Canon, if you're about to go on a shoot 
and you've got a, a customer that is waiting for you to turn up and one of your cameras breaks or you've something goes wrong then you can get like almost instant fit, um, and you know the, the service center will work with you very quickly they'll send an exchange body and yeah. so you could you could most likely get them to curry you an exchange body to where you're going to be at the location that you're heading to and you'd go and you'd just shoot now of course you're not you shouldn't really be working with only one body anyway but there are a lot of benefits to it especially if you're a professional and you're making a a living or your your people you know your reputation is at stake now if you are a just a a, a hobbyist a serious hobbyist a very passionate hobbyist how much is it going to affect you if you can't get a camera fixed in in 24 hours or right. you can't get a replacement in 24 hours if you need those services there there are benefits but it, it really depends on whether or not you need them so it, it's it's just it I think we all have to make the choice ourselves it depends yeah the whole thing it depends I I think of these services kinda is kind of like triple-a uh, a roadside assistance for your vehicle right mm -hmm. you pay a little bit and but and you probably forget about it, but when you need them, you really need them. You know, yeah. you're on the side of the road and you don't have a spare tire and it's raining. You can right. make a phone call and 10 minutes later somebody comes out to fix it for you. That's that's kind of a big deal. Or like you mentioned, Martin. Yeah, you mentioned, Martin, there's a boom. You know, you're, you're on a shoot somewhere and your camera, the one that you were depending on, dies. It'd be nice to have one waiting in the hotel room for you the next day. So, yeah. Doug K, what do you think? Is, are these professional services worth it or, or not? I think they vary. I'm, I'm a member of the Nikon or Nikon or Nikon, depending <laughs> on where you live, uh, professional services, but, um, which is interesting because I'm in the process of divesting myself entirely of Nikon gear. Uh, <laughs> but it's a free program. Similar to what Martin says, you need a sponsor. You need someone who's a member to sort of invite you in, but you don't have to go to a face-to-face -face interview. That's really wild. Nice. Um, and they, it's been helpful. They they do give expedited service, so I get I get my repairs a little faster, which hopefully I don't use very often. Uh, they do now. It's a fairly new thing. They offer a twenty percent discount on repairs. Sony. I was a member of. I have a lot of Sony gear. Uh, so specifically to um, the, the question at hand, I was a member of Sony's Imaging Pro support program in the first year or so. They charge $100 a year for that program, and I just found that for me, I, it wasn't worth $100, so I did not renew that after the first year. They give you, they do give you dedicated phone and email support, and I'm thinking, well, you know, that's not really much help. If my camera is so weird that I have to have someone tell me how to use it, that's right. not great. Uh, but they do give you faster turnarounds on repairs. Uh, they do give you loaners if you need them, uh, things like that. So um, I think it comes back to what Martin says, which is, are you a pro? Are you working? Are you making a living from using this gear? Uh, do you need – I think the main thing really is quick turnaround on repairs and potentially loaners. But you know what? You are not likely to get a loaner fast enough from at least the US programs if you're on location and your second camera dies um, you're not likely to get it quick enough so yeah um, anyway so, uh, I think so it's, what's I think the bottom it's, line recommended or not or is the is the metric if you're making money with your system and you're on a mission you you go on mission critical adventures then yeah it's probably worth it yeah. if you're that, not that, then don't it. bother 
that's it. And you know, luckily, the you know, you have to have a few bodies and and three or four lenses in order just to qualify for these programs. So that that qualifies you right out of the shoot anyway. But on Nikon's Nikon's easy because here in the U.S. the Nikon program is free. Yeah. Sony, hundred dollars a year. You decide if that's worth it or not. Or not. Well, perfect. Well. Monica, I hope we answered your question. Guys, we're going to move on. We're almost at the end of the show. We're going to take one last quick break. Then after that, we're going to dive into the picks of the week. This episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online training platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, just visit lynda.com slash twip. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash T-W-I-P. Now, lynda.com is for problem solvers, creative people, or just people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to master Excel or learn negotiation tactics or build a website or even boost your Photoshop skills. Just go to lynda.com and feed your curious mind. lynda.com offers a ton of courses on Lightroom, Photoshop, and the Adobe Creative Cloud, and many on just getting inspired or re-inspired about your photography. With a lynda.com membership, you can watch and learn from top experts who are passionate about teaching, and you can stream thousands of video courses on demand and learn at your own schedule. And courses are structured so that you can watch them from start to finish, or you can consume them in bite-sized pieces. You can even download tutorials and watch them on the go from your iOS or Android device. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. So whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or just want to learn something new, visit lynda.com slash twip and sign up for your free 10-day trial. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com slash twip. All right, let's jump into our Picks of the Week segment. Remember, you guys can recommend anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Martin... I have an idea of what your pick is going to be. <laughs> what is your pick of the week? Yeah, you know, I've I've got to do it. Astropad, it's great. It, I think that there's there's just so much going for it. Um, we've already spoken about it, but go over to astropad.com, take a look, um, pick it up, and it, and you'll have a lot of fun with it. And 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 at twenty bucks at the moment, it, grab it now and and wait for these iterations that we're that we're seeing. We're, we're hopefully going to see in the coming months. Yeah, I'm excited to play with it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on my um, uh, my Ma well it's it's already on my iMac here, but I'm gonna put it on my little MacBook Air. And I think like Doug's saying, that might be the ideal little ideal little hey, I'm in Starbucks or I'm traveling or whatever, and I've got my mini and my you know my uh, my computer here, and I'm gonna edit some photos or go through Lightroom and do some retouching and all that. So. Yeah, so kudos to those guys. And one last thing on, on the Astrobad pad, folks, I think I mentioned this off the top there, but uh, we're, like Martin was saying, once we get the Martin Bailey podcast integrated into the TWIP network and possibly before, we'll, get the, we'll do a deep dive with the founders of Astropad and talk to them after we've both had a chance to sort of kick the tires a little deeper. I think it's a... I think Astropad is a, it's one of those important apps that sort of changes things a lot, So, which is why we're going to spend so much time diving into it. And it's, it's, not only is it important, but it's only 20 or 30 bucks. So, you know, it kind of it kind of makes a lot of sense to help, help us round out our sort of workstations for photography. 
All right. Doug K., what about you? What's your pick of the week? You know, I know we're running long, but I want to say one more thing about Astropad. There is a cool phenomenon, which is you can actually sit in another room, and it's almost like you're running Photoshop on your iPad. Okay, now that's cool. You, you, get, you, get, you, can, you can map as much of the screen as you want, but you can actually sit there in the living room or the kitchen or whatever room you prefer and do your Photoshop work. It's very, very cool. That, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because it's connected through Wi-Fi, right? So yeah, you can yeah. be anywhere actually, in your Wi-Fi bubble. Yeah. yeah, and you actually it looks on the screen like you're running Photoshop on the iPad. <laughs> very cool. Wow. Uh, my pick, my pick of the week, though, everyone hopefully has heard of a Brazilian photographer, Sebastião Salgado, a very famous photographer, marvelous photographer who's been doing work all over the world for decades and decades. And his, I guess it's his son and another guy produced a new documentary. It came out last year called Salt of the Earth. Won the special prize at last year's Cannes Film Festival, nominated for Best Documentary at this year's Academy Awards, and it comes out, we're recording this on Monday the 13th, and tomorrow the 14th it comes out on Blu-ray and on iTunes. Cool. I strongly recommend this movie, whether you're a photographer or not, because this is not, first of all, it's got great photography. It's got a very strong message that I think everyone will appreciate, and it's a beautifully made movie. So go check out Salt of the Earth with and about Sebastian Salgado. Hey, guess, guess what? We know we talk about this time time consortium thing. What, what, what's, what's it called again? Space-time continuum. That's it. <laughs> so guess what day it is here, date it is mm. in Japan right now. Uh -huh. it's, yeah, you're it's tomorrow. Here. It's tomorrow where you are. It's tomorrow today. So I, it's actually the 14th, and I my, my copy of the Blu-ray was shipped about an hour ago, and it'll be with me this evening. So... I will be salting of the earth this evening with uh, thanks to you, Doug. I didn't even know about this, but I'm uh, cool. yeah, my Blu-ray's on its way right now. I if, keep if it doesn't that you live in the future, Martin. So, King, Martin, <laughs> what what is Apple stock trading at right now over there? <laughs> yeah, it's you know what I, I have this thing. I, I you know, but when as planes get faster, we'll be able to fly around the world faster than 24 hours. What if we go around the world in in say 22 hours? We could go around, like, keep going around the world, and we'd end up in the in the future, right? Time travel. So yeah. hey, if you so, if you yeah. go far enough, high enough latitude, you can do that today. Mm -hmm. Well, you can, yeah. Even in the even in the shuttles and things. So so why is space travel not possible? <laughs> because don't don't get me started. Because things are so far away, and the universal speed limit is <laughs> the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second. So. <laughs> You'll be multiple. I mean, you'll be. You won't. Your lifespan is too short to reach even the nearest stars. <laughs> yeah, there's all that dark matter and everything getting in the way. I know. That's right. That's right. I love it. I love it. Don't get me started on that geek stuff. I'll go into Neil deGrasse Tyson mode on you. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, my pick. So. I got back to the house just in time to do this show because I was meeting with these folks that make this camera. The DxO1. Look at that. Still in the box. I haven't even unboxed it yet. So this is, it's my pick because I have one, not because I tried it and I'm <laughs> recommending it yet, but because I haven't tried it yet. I did a post when they first launched it and just sort of, you know, I got some images from people that got early release versions of the camera. 
and now I have a chance to kind of put it through its paces. I'm going to play with it, and hopefully, if Doug K allows it, we may do a special episode of All About the Gear where we talk about the DXO one. But I gotta, I gotta submit my paperwork to Doug to get approval for that, and then <laughs> we'll do that. But yeah, man. So this is, uh, this is their. If you haven't heard about it, the DXO one is a. It's kind of like what Sony did with their lens camera, where it needs an iPhone for the viewfinder or that that sort of the visual part of it, but it uh, connects through the lightning port. That's lightning, right? I always get lightning and thunderbolt mixed up. But it connects to the lightning port on the iPhone and essentially gives you a camera that is, they say, DSLR quality. And it shoots video, but only up to 1080 currently, and the UI is pretty pretty spot on. So I'm going to play with it. I'm not going to say anything more than that. I'll play with it, put it through its paces, and then I'll let Doug K pepper me with questions about is it good, is it bad, or is it ugly? But yeah, in the meantime, just head over to DxO or Google DxOONE and you'll find out, you know, all about it. There's YouTube videos from people that have early release versions of it, etc. I, I think it's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to playing with it. All right, guys, before we sign off, I want to find out what you guys have going on in the coming months. Martin, I know you always have a lot of stuff happening. Both of you guys are always on the road going somewhere. Where are you going next, Martin? Yeah, I, um, I've i actually, just this couple of days ago, finished my in-studio in Pixels to Pigment workshop. We did that with four great participants over the weekend. Cool. Um, and now I'm, I'm gearing up for Namibia in August, and I've got Iceland in September, so... Yeah, these they, I'm really looking forward to getting on the road and, and going and doing those those couple of uh, great long tours. Iceland, ugh, yeah. yeah. I hear the Iceland's light is magical in Iceland, right? It is. Doug was with me last year. We we had a we had more than our fair share of rain last year, but we uh, we certainly had the the Icelandic light as well. So yeah, it's beautiful over there. I love it. I love it. Do you get the aurora in Iceland, or is we didn't, it too we far didn't last year? But no, it, they they get aurora quite a lot. The first year I was there, we had it two nights. Last year we didn't have it. It's a bit of a, um, you know, the look of the draw. But yeah, I mean, it's far enough north. We some sometimes um, that's one of the reasons why I don't do my tours in the middle of their summer, which is uh, long, you know, quite long days in September, end of September, October. The days are shorter, and if if the conditions are right, we get some great aurora. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, and that's all the details about those workshops are on your site. They are. Um, these two particular workshops are actually full, but we do we do the Iceland one every year. So if anyone's interested, go to martinbaileyphotography.com and hit the tours and workshops button, and there's links to everything that's currently open and and ready to book. Very cool. Well, thanks a lot, Martin, and thanks for coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure Not having you on. Pleasure for me too. All right, Mr. Doug K, what's going on with you? Any any Hawaiian travels in your? <laughs> it seems like you're always bouncing back and forth. So. Yeah, and I got I got to say I had a great time with Martin, but as people as I've told people, I have never been so wet in my entire life. Uh, but every landscape photography should go. Every landscape photographer should go to Iceland with Martin Bailey because it's a marvelous <laughs> trip, and. One reason you don't see the aurora is because it's freaking cloudy and wet every day. 
Yeah. <laughs> they're there. You just can't. They're there. You just can't see them. Right. It's a, it's an amazing place. It's it is the, probably one of the ultimate destinations for landscape photography. Of course, I was the only street photographer there, and I was teased within an inch of my life. But all, my my best pictures were from downtown Reykjavik. <laughs> you had to go find some streets to shoot on, right? That's right. Uh, I've been doing a lot of a lot of teaching. My thanks to the TWIP listeners. My up- upcoming workshops in Cuba in November and January both sold out. Uh, we've got got great people. Uh, we're heading to Cuba in those two months. Uh, upcoming all about the gear episodes. We've got the Canon 5DS. I'm recording with Gordon tomorrow, actually, Sweet. or the day after, actually. Uh, we're going to do the Leica Q because I own one. Uh, we're, we're You're gonna, that kind of guy, man. You're that neighbor that everybody man. hates. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole story behind that. We don't have time for it here, but you'll hear it on the show. Uh, we're going to do the Sony RX100 Mark IV. Is there any other camera that's got a, f- a fourth version? I don't know one. Um, yeah. And and then we're going to do the DXO1 with Frederick. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. That's lots of stuff. I love that, man. That All about the gear is definitely become kind of like a staple for people. I mean, it is, you know, I think with you and Martin on there, and Martin, you and uh, Gordon on there, it's kind of like that one-two punch. I don't want to say pin and teller because that's wrong. It's more... <laughs> I don't know. It's another comedy duo. You guys are you guys are good because you uh, you play off of each other very well. So congratulations on that show. Thank you. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention. I was going to add this in as part of my pick of the week, but I forgot to do it. Um, there's a one of my inspirations for building the Twip Network and these shows is Ira Glass and This American Life, which is put out by Chicago Public Radio. It's an amazing show that's very well produced. It's in podcast form. Um, and I believe they have video on the site, but I just discovered that they are now on Netflix with two seasons of This American Life uh, hosted by Ira Glass. It's like the, for me, it's like serial. It's like the quintessential podcast, right? So you look at that, you see, okay, this is how they should be done, you know? So definitely check it out, This American Life uh, on Netflix, and there's two seasons. I think I, the cool thing about their shows is they're only 30 minutes each, and they go, they're very highly produced, very, they get you thinking, you know? They're not, they're not controversial intentionally, but sometimes they are controversial because, like, one of the, one of the shows I watched last night was one on pig farming. So they showed, they showed, uh, they were basically just showing, and they, he's showing a pig farm, and they were talking about how all this stuff happens and how bacon gets to your plate and all this stuff. But they ended up the story, and they they actually covered this in the story. They were like, you know, the story here isn't about the pigs; it's about us experiencing this pig farm. So so they flipped it and did the story about themselves and their reaction to you know, the goings-on on the pig farm. I'm not going to give it away, but let's just say it wasn't pleasant. So definitely, <laughs> definitely go check that out. You know, if you have Netflix, you already have it. So it's uh, from a photography and podcasting and just sort of mind-expanding standpoint, it's definitely uh, something to check out. I was going to have ham for dinner. I don't think so now. <laughs> you, <know, laughs> you won't. I'm telling you, if you watch that episode you may consider vegetarianism, I'm telling you, or vegan or whatever. And that's hard for me because I'm a carnivore, and I have not had any meat today because of <laughs> because of that particular episode. It's horrific. It don't is, take my bacon. It is, dude. I'm telling you, it's you don't watch it. Then. Just don't watch it. 
All right, guys, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Panasonic Lumix Cameras, Lynda.com, and FreshBooks for their support of the show. Without them, the lights would be off and the lens caps would be on on this show. Um, also, be sure to check out our website. Of course, it's over at thisweekinphoto.com. That's the end of another episode of the show, episode 421 in the can. And that means it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>